You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Julie Garrison. She is president at Tapoos, which is a staffing agency. We're going to learn a little bit more about the business that Julie has put together in helping companies find staff for events, for various needs that they have. We're going to talk about the business, how it's evolved, how she's working it today, her ability to work in multiple locations. So we're going to talk a little bit about what she's been able to achieve in terms of having grown the business and managed the business and get involved in some other businesses. I think that's a goal for a lot of people people listening to this program is how do they become a little less geographically tied to everything going on in the business and how do they get involved in other ventures as they see opportunity to make life both interesting and and hopefully profitable and expand their entrepreneurial worlds. With that, Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So yeah, so always a pleasure. And then actually I'll full disclosure, Julie and I have known each other for a while and we've worked together in various capacities over the years. So I know a little bit about the business and a little bit about her background and I'm excited to to talk about this. But why don't we start with just kind how you just got into this. You've been running Tapoos for four or five years now. I can't remember exactly when you started, but what were you doing before and how did this come up? I'm always curious how people start businesses and why they start businesses, but how did it work for you? Sure. So I sort of convoluted story, but essentially I grew up in Arizona, graduated with a theater degree, did the old move to New York thing to pursue acting. And that led me to sort of the hospitality path of serving, bartending, all of that Mm -hmm. sort of, I got tired of not having health insurance and all those things. And I was like, I need a real job and was able to sort of partner in on a restaurant venture with a group I had been working with. And that restaurant venture, we quickly realized was not a good restaurant, but (laughs) it had some potential to be a really good event space, which I really didn't know anything about at the time. But as we know, real estate in New York City is uh, hard to come by. Big real estate. So we ended up just sort of having the business initially come to us and we had to create this messy influx of new business into, you know, viable growing business. So then essentially started an event space in Midtown Manhattan. We then launched a catering company that did work throughout the tri-state area as well as at that event space. And I did that for approximately 10 years or so. And so then I became sort of an expert in the event field, but you know, the hard way. Uh, (laughs) The school of hard knocks, uh, as I like to say. Yeah. And so then I had a lot of staffing issues during that time. We did it in all internally. It's its own whole ball game to hire as many people as you need, train them, retain them, etc. And then we outsourced it a handful of times to other outside companies because we didn't want to deal with it. 
and that was never really successful. So eventually when I sort of, those businesses were sort of coming to rightful close with leases and such as that sort of thing. And I was also had been heavy into production of events for 10 years at this point. So mm-hmm. I was tired. Yeah. A lot of really early mornings, really late nights all the time. I mean, constant, you know. So this point, I was like, you know what? I like the staffing element of it. I like to find the talent, coach the talent, keep them employed. And I personally and selfishly don't have to be the one producing the event on site. So I sort of segued into that and that became hospitality based staffing agency per se in the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Well, and I like the uh, the kind of uh, new business born of needs that you're seeing you know, and, and problems that are being unserved or unmet, you know, by the industry. And then, you know, deciding that that's going to be the next step is really, okay, let's build a business around this problem. A pretty yeah. sort of classic story in terms of how people got into business. And uh, also, right. you know, I think a lot of people end up kind of getting into business sideways. You know, they they, they see a need, they create a business and before they know it, they've got a going uh, going concern that they can they can actually leverage. So I guess in, yeah, in terms of... My short answer is always by accident. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I guess any, any kind of bigger picture learnings, either about you know yourself or about the process of becoming an entrepreneur through that and you know having been both on the kind of the employee side or the being part of a team versus leading a company th- things that mm-hmm. you've learned or things that you've seen as different you know between those different roles yeah for sure it's interesting you ask that because a lot of people when they talk to me about this they think that I'm going to be like go into business by yourself <laughs> like oh, hardcore yeah rah rah and yeah. I'm never like that because it's hard <laughs> it yeah. is not easy The buck stops with you. You're the one that's ultimately responsible for everything. You don't get to clock out. You know, those are the sort of negatives. Not that I need to classify it as positive and negative, but it's challenging. It was easier for me to make that leap when I did because I was young and I had nothing going on and nothing to lose. So that was an easy choice at that point in my life. At other stages in my life, I might not have made that same decision. So I've seen other people jump into the entrepreneurial path at other points in their life, and it scares me a little bit. However, now that I've been doing it for so long, there's probably it would probably be very difficult for me to step into a traditional role of employment because I have freedom of schedule and choice of what I'm doing when I'm doing it. And that's really, to me, the reason that I continue to do it, that to it's sort of, you know, something that a lot of people never get to do for their entire working life, which is most of their life. So yeah, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, I think not. it does. And I think the kind of um, the sober assessment of what it's like <laughs> to start a business and be a be a founder and, and ultimately be a CEO is is a good one. Because I think I, mean, I always say you have to be a little delusional to start a business, right? Because the, yeah, the, the, the statistics, the data, the success rate is is so poor on average that, you know, it's not actually a rational decision, right? You almost need to be irrational, a little delusional to want to get into it. But, and and I think, you know, kind of acknowledging that, um, you know, doing it at different times of your life, both in terms of kind of your age and your ability to kind of tolerate certain, certain physical and and schedule. Exactly. Yeah. And and what you have at risk. I think that that is a really fascinating one is that, you know, when you're, when you're younger and you don't, you know, you're not, you can take bigger risks in many respects. It is harder when you get older, right? You've, 
you've got more commitments, yeah. you've got you know more people reliant upon you, you know more people that would be affected if if things don't go well. So yeah. I think it's an less, important one to acknowledge. Less time to earn money later. Yeah, the whole yeah. the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the one thing that's curious or, or that I find interesting in your case is one of the things I hear people complain a lot about <laughs> in service based businesses is having to manage people. You know, because there's you know the idea that you know business would be much easier without employees and without clients, right? Because then I wouldn't have to deal with people. You are just like in the people business. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a like lot a Olympic-sized yeah. pool of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think allows you or has served you well in terms of being able to, to manage that kind of business that is so people-intensive and so dynamic around the people-intensive sort of aspect of the business? What do you think gives you the tools or allows you to be successful in terms of you know either how you think or your skills or your approach, your mindset? Tell me a little, give me a little insights on that. That's a good question. I would say off the top of my head that I think you have to have the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes. But really, I mean, not like hypothetically, like, oh, well, I could sort of maybe see their point. I think you have to really be able to say, you know what, this is this is probably how this person is thinking or feeling. And this is why and be able to really be empathetic to other people, because there's so many situations that come up uh, with staff and clients and the combination of them. And so it's not just you can't just decide this is the way it is. And that's how it works. It's it's not that simple. So you have to then take everybody's real their point of view mm-hmm. and try to merge those and come to some type of, you know, medium. So I would say like off the top of my head, that's probably a part of it. It's so I'm also, you know, training my management staff a lot. It's a really fine line. You have to have so many policies in place and you have to have communicated those policies and you have to fall back on them. That's the only way you can deal with, you know, how you operate, how you pay, how you discipline, how you hire, how you fire, you know, all those things. So you have to have those, but you're also dealing with human beings. And so there's a whole lot of of reasonable flexibility that has to be involved for all of those from dealing with clients to staff because you're dealing with people. And so it's not black and white. It's not a product. You yeah. know, it's it's all sort of in a gray area. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I think that that whole idea of putting yourself in other people's shoes or, or really, really working to understand what is going on for this person. Not that I need to, you know, accept their position or condone a certain behavior or agree with them necessarily, but I, yeah. I, you need to start with a really true, honest understanding of what, where are they coming from, what, what position are they in that is causing them to either want this or do this or say this. And I think until you really do that work and you really get clear on that, it's going to be hard to come up with a, an effective solution. Again, not, exactly. not that you need to agree with everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Most, agreement well, is not... Sometimes yeah. you don't, but yeah, yeah, you have to, yeah. Even if it changes just how you're communicating from, from being able to sort understand what they're doing and then adjusting your communication, still delivering the same message, but in a different way. Yeah. And I like the policy stuff too, is that you get clear on what are your expectations? What are the rules of the road for you and your organization? And communicating that early and clearly and getting agreement at that upfront. So you don't have to do that, you know, all right, well now we have to, now we have a situation and now I have to kind of create a policy retroactively. And you know, that's always a nightmare. I mean, I guess what, what have you learned? about that process in terms of, you know, what, 
policy to put in place? What, where do you really kind of focus? Where do you let things be a little looser? What's been the strategy in developing good kind of rules of the road in terms of creating an effective organization that way? I would say for us, it's been, it's also was, you know, a little bit of a, a learning process to get to that point, because yeah. like you said, a lot of it is something happens and there's your policy, you know, not all of it, you know, the basics, but you're like, oh, I never thought this would happen, especially when dealing with people. It happened. Okay, what's our immediate policy moving forward? So there was definitely that sort of thing in the beginning. I think we have a ton of policies with both our clients and our staff. I think a key part is communicating them as effectively as possible to a normal degree. So for us, I think with the staff in particular, like we have a online onboarding system. We have a multifold interview process. And then once they come on, we have an online onboarding system and they're exposed to all of our paperwork and all of these policies right there. And they're electronically signing them right there. We're then sharing those documents with them inevitably throughout Mm -hmm. their employment, like through a shared system. So they always have access to them, but then they come in for an actual training, a paid training. And we basically are reading slash it's sort of an interactive to some degree training session, the same things. And we start off by saying we are, you've already been exposed to this. You've already signed this, but now we're going to talk about it again. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. then we go through this whole process and talk about it. And then we still have to remind and highlight things continually. So that's not, that's not enough. What I just said, you still have to then go, okay, there's this pattern uh, we see this is happening, whatever it is, people are late people are doing XYZ. So then we're like, all right, let's do a company memo. Is that going to work? If it doesn't work, it means we don't have an effective plan in place. So then we are, one of our core values is being open to continual improvement. So if something's not working, we are going to change our policies to try to fix it. So that might mean, you know what, we're going to have to have a different policy in terms of, you know, reprimand for being tardy. I'm just making this particular one and then we have to update all the documents re-communicate that with all the staff and then we're enforcing that and then the re sort of touching base we try to mix that up too so it's not just like a memo we might do a newsletter we might send a push notification through our scheduling platform sometimes it's light in tone and like hey here's a friendly reminder happy valentine's day or you know whatever and sometimes it's not sometimes it's like this is becoming a problem this is severe blah blah blah. And then lastly, when those policies are broken, we then have reminders specifically at that point, which could be a friendly reminder, depending on the situation, Mm -hmm. or it could be up to termination. So then Mm -hmm. we're saying, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, this happened, da, 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 da. And you had this, you signed it, we talked about it, you've been reminded about it, this is what happened. So I think maybe that's the key for us is to make sure it's delivered in multiple ways and continuously to some degree, if you send too much information, nobody's going to read anything you're sending. 
So <laughs> you have to be sort of careful about how yeah, I think it, yeah. it's happening. Well, well, and I think it's true. I mean, I always, one of my favorite phrases is the, the challenge with communication is the illusion that it's occurred, right? So, so, yeah, so just, exactly. just because, just because you send a link, just because, you know, you've had someone sign something, you know, yep. it means you can kind of hold them accountable for the information, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they actually know the information. So I think that uh, strategy exactly. of, you know, having, you know, multiple opportunities or, or multiple communication modes and, and technologies and, you know, having the, you read the paper, you watch the video, you, we come in and you talk about it, you know, you listen to the audio, just knowing that people learn things different ways or communicate differently and giving them multiple kind of modalities of communication and then and hitting it multiple times, right? Just because you said it once doesn't mean that they're going to get it, right? Sometimes you need to, I think the data or someone has a thing, it's, it takes six times, you need to say something six times before people really understand. Yeah. And then choosing, right? And knowing that, you know, if I give them 248 pieces of information all at once, the chances are they're not going to, they're not going to remember any of it. Whereas if I can highlight a couple of things at a time and, and really get them to focus, I'm probably going to get more, more effectiveness. Um, 100%. You know, one, one thing you mentioned there too, which I thought was, was interesting. And I talk a lot about this with clients is, is the problem I see is a lot of, a lot of people go, a lot of managers, a lot of executives go from zero to 60 very quickly, meaning that they, they finally something happens and they trigger and they get into doing a, a PIP or a, you know, a personal improvement plan or a, they put people on warnings all of a sudden and, and people get kind of shocked. They're like, well, I, yeah. I didn't know this was an issue. I, you know, didn't say anything before. And, and the fact is they, they don't, you know, a lot of executives, a lot of managers just kind of wait and wait and wait and it builds up and they kind of, they snap and they, they go into a very kind of extreme mode, you know, instead of really just kind of, Hey, you know what? I wanted to give you a little bit of feedback or I noticed this thing happened. I want to make sure this isn't a problem. And they just keep it casual in the beginning and then kind of slowly escalated over time. You mentioned that a little bit, that, that there's this kind of like, where are we in the cycle? And is this just a friendly reminder or is this, you know, look, you're either terminated or, you know, if this happens again, you're going to be terminated. How have you kind of learned or what is the systems you've kind of put in place to be able to do that kind of early course correction so you'd have less of those kind of big, dramatic kind of conversations that you need to have when something's kind of escalated to that point? Another great point. I think for us, it's tracking what's going on. So it's, you know, we know how many times somebody has done some type of infraction. So we're tracking that through a software program. So we are all, my management team is awesome and I they have good judgment and they've been with me a long time. And so we know when something's happening, the first thing we're doing is we're looking at that system and we're saying, okay, this is so-and-so, this is what's going on. If it's the first time and it's not a serious issue or it's the second time and they've been employed with us for a year and it's not a big deal, we're not going to probably say to them beyond acknowledging that it happened, to be honest. So we're going to keep it friendly and and uh, noted, you know, whatever we hope something is if feeling better, you know, whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. See you soon. So we're not going to be making anyone feel bad at that point. We're also looking at things like how often have they been working with us? What kind of reviews are they getting? So we're working our judgment in terms of if is this, is this something that needs follow up. So then same thing, we now know when there's been multiple offenses, you know, it's starting to become a pattern. Maybe this is the fifth time this has happened in five months and that looks like the start of a pattern. So then we're going to give a warning. And at that point, it should be probably neutral again, depending on the offense. But, you know, we'll be like, hey, this is it again 
because we have it recorded, we're going to say these things happen on this date. Just, you know, let you know, this is our policy, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, try to please change this behavior, et cetera, you know, not that exact verbiage and uh, keep it light. And then it's pretty simple at that point. They've been warned We that we might have treated as a final warning, depending on the infraction. So we're still giving people chances to improve. And then at that point, termination is just sort of an automated type of feel yeah. because if they do it again, they've seen everything. We've given them a chance. We've given them a warning. So at that point, it's really, hey, sorry. You know, we don't say sorry. We say, hey, this is the last mm-hmm. communication we had uh, per our policies. Da, 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 da. Best of luck. So yeah. I guess for us, it's tracking it so that we can look and gauge what's an appropriate response for this person and this circumstance. Yeah. When I like that idea of, you know, no surprises, right? Like it, when you get to the point of having having to terminate somebody, right. they should know before you do <laughs> that they're being terminated because right. they knew the rules and they exactly. knew what happened and you know it, it should be obvious and prepared and expected at that point. I think that's a that's exactly. a good kind of rule or a good strategy right. or a good rule. And, and then to clarify, you know, of course, like there's some things that are more severe than others that you don't have that luxury of having that slow buildup. And then yeah. you then you have to, you know, throw in a this is a policy, this is a severe offense. Yeah. You know, etc. Yeah. offense. Yeah. And I think all of that becomes so much easier because you know what the fact is this stuff's going to happen right like even yeah. the best organizations these are things that come up uh, and, and you need to deal with it but if you've got you know good policies in place that have been effectively communicated and you know m- maintained and enforced over time this becomes almost you know just a, a system that executes itself you don't you avoid a lot of the drama well while the conversations yeah. can be dramatic the, the process does not have to be dramatic so interesting so to talk to us a little bit about from a strategy point of view how you've kind of evolved and, you know, I'm always curious how people have kind of figured out who their best customers are, in your case, kind of the best types of events, um, why they're the best type of events, like what you end up looking for and, and why it serves, why it's a good type of situation and, and what projects not to do <laughs> over the years. Oh, that's so many good yeah. questions. <laughs> um, so I would say that we have a pretty broad range of different types of clients uh, working in hospitality realm and events and it's not all so eventy eventy some of it is you know like a pop-up shop or you know registration staff for a concert venue so it's like a broad uh, spectrum what i have found is a good match for our clients with us, they have to have a similar philosophy and attitude that myself, the company and the management team has in terms of realizing that we are dealing with people. They have to have the, the same expectations that we can deliver. So we're very clear about what we can deliver and how we can deliver it. And there's a lot of people that totally get it. They understand it and that's what they need. And so we're delivering them the product that they need. And then there are some people that really actually need a different product. So I've I've sort of, again, the hard way, learned (laughs) how to initially when, you know, talking with a client or when my team's talking with a new client, clearly communicating like what, what it is that we do and how we do it. And if somebody is saying certain certain things, you know, we might direct them in a different direction because yep. it's not it's not their expectation. So like if if somebody wants a really very curated staffing experience and they're like, you know, we want 
X, Y, Z. Like they're telling you from A to Z what they want their people to say, do, be, wear, uh, the whole nine yards. Then they, or they want someone on site, a management person on site every single shift. You know, that's just one example. That's not really what we do. We could do it, but that's a whole special project. It's not send already vetted temp staff that wears our dress code and follows our policy. So what they really want is like they want a dedicated HR manager to hire their own staff, train their staff and manage their staff on site every day. So they really want an internal structure and an internal system for their staff. They just don't want to hire that person to do it. So I'll literally tell people that nicely. And Mm -hmm. I'll say, so what you're doing, I'm like, we could do that. We could have a dedicated HR person that's going to just work for you and do that. But otherwise, if you just are going to order our staff, I'm doing air quotes, you're going to get great staff. You know, this is what the staff's going to be, but you're going to have a lot of them there. You know, there's a very large roster to fulfill all our needs. You can send feedback. You can say who you want to see again and who not. We can't guarantee all of their availability for you. You know, our managers are not going to be on site for larger events. They'll be there checking staff in. If you want a event captain to manage the event, you can order that through us, but it's not going to be me or my, you know, hiring manager. So clearly sort of just explaining what it is we do. And if something's outside of that, we could customize it. But what I found is usually people don't want that. They want what I'm saying. And then I, you know, I'll be like, well, here's a headhunter that I know. Why don't you hire yourself, you know, an HR manager? So kind of guiding them to what they need, if that answers your question. No, it it does. I think it's a a good strategy. I think something that it it sometimes takes people a while to learn, which is, you know, you can't do everything or you can try. (laughs) But uh, it's kind of like you can do anything you want, just not everything you want. And getting good at getting clear on, on what your best customer, best project, best client is and really focusing on that and then you know everyone else that comes to you either figuring out how to convert them into the best customer right in terms of you know educating them and explaining to them why your way of doing things is really going to be a better better solution for them because of what they ultimately exactly. want or the complexities around trying to do it themselves or doing it in an alternate way exactly. uh, or cost. yeah cost mm-hmm. risk you know drama exactly. and, and then having having some good referral partners um, I mean I, I, I do this a lot as a coach when someone comes to me and it, it's just not a great fit for me, but I may know someone who actually is a great fit and I'll, I'll do referrals because at the end of the day, you know, you want to be a, a solution provider, even if it's not you giving them a solution to their problems is going to increase the likelihood that they recommend you to other people that when they have a future need that is more in line with what you need, that they're going to call you back. And for the people that you're referring to, I mean, that it, it ends up creating a nice referral network, right? So that you get the right clients, the right people and vice versa. So you're going to get referrals coming the other way when they have, you know, when they see opportunities that are a better fit for you. So, you know, good strategies. So uh, one one last question I wanted to do on this one is I know that, you know, m- most of your business now is in the uh, tri-state area around New York City, uh, but you're able to spend some time outside of New York City on a regular basis. And I know a lot of people who run 
and service companies who are shackled, shall we say, <laughs> to, their, yeah. to their operations. And uh, the whole idea of even taking a weekend away can be kind of a dream to folks. I guess, mm-hmm. what have you done in terms of the business, how you've operated it, managed it, put the right people in place so that you can take can take extended periods of time away from New York City and not have the business you know falter or deteriorate? What has that process been yeah. like for you? What have you learned? I've learned so much from mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I think um, what it's actually the first thing when you're asking me this, the first thing I was thinking of was that I actually feel that the business runs better mm. since I have spent more time away. Funny how that works. And it's because I'm still very much in the know because I talk to my management team daily, multiple times, email, phone calls, video calls, you name it. So I'm I'm part of it, but they're the ones that are doing the work. And they're a great team. And they wouldn't have their roles if they weren't doing a stellar job. And I trust them to do it. So they do it. They like the responsibility. They like the trust. But again, there's processes in place, a lot of communication. So they're constantly touching base with me in an organized fashion. But they're the ones that are doing the work. If additional work is needed, then it means I need to hire another management team member um, and or rearrange their current roles and positions because I really think the lead of a company per se, however you want to define that, shouldn't be down in the daily grind. Uh, That shouldn't be their role. Their role should be to, you know, have a forward vision for the company and manage the management team members, ideally. Some people disagree with that. Some people are like, you know, old school and they want to be on the ground. And and there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. But for me, I have found that it runs better when I'm not actually there. Mm-hmm. When I am in the office, I think that they're annoyed with me, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. You know, like they like seeing me for a little bit and then they're like, okay, can I just do my job? Like, why are, you know, we we had our meeting. I have my, my project. Like, I don't need you <laughs> looking over my shoulder, like repeatedly telling me the same thing. So I find that it's been cool to see that. And I think a large part of how I was able to do it is I just did it. And then I realized what I just said to you. So then it was like, oh, okay, this is doable. Yeah. yeah. No, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good one. I, the one thing I always say is if, if you're around too much, the problems find you, right? And, yeah. and I think by getting out of the office and, and not actually being available 24-7 means that other people need to deal with the problems. And you know, quite often, they can deal with it just as well, if not better than you can. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a proximity factor to this. Uh, Julie, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about uh, the the staffing business, what's the best way to get more information? Probably go to the website, which is tapuz, T-A-P-U-Z, staffing.com. And yeah, a lot of lot of info is up there. Great. I'll make Thanks, sure that... Bruce. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll have the link in the show notes. People can click through and get that. But yeah, I appreciate the time. It's fun to, uh, to have some time to catch up and, and get into the business in a little more detail. And congratulations on your success and uh, continued growth. I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. how the coming years. Yeah. Last note, you have helped me too. I have to throw that in there. <laughs> A lot of good advice and ideas and thoughts definitely push me and this company forward. So yeah. thank you. Well, you're very welcome. That's my job. So I'm glad I'm glad things are working out well and I look forward to hearing how things go in the future. So thanks. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.